This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Our parents were coming, for community members coming. It's a, it's a, it's a true kavod uh, to have everybody here. A special note to uh, thank you to the Rosh Kol for joining us. Um, for, we're all getting together for an evening of Torah learning, of growth with the Rosh Hashiva and Manig of Aaron Lopiansky. As we head towards the Yom Ha'arayim, there is no better way to greet Yom Adin than by doing it together, Achas. I also want to thank our sponsors, whose names are on the signs outside, for making this possible. We truly appreciate it. So many of us have, are just trickling in and coming back from the Levaya of a cornerstone of our of our of Brisbane Zetzal. Aside from the key role that he played at Torah Academy as a Rebbe and even as an interim in 1997-1998 of the Torah Academy Girls High School, where Brisman was a quiet giant, a Tamachacham, a Bikeach, Yizichra Baruch. We're here tonight to think and to think deeply about our Achrayas to our children, what we would call in modern terms parenting, all in regard to Yom Adin. We remember our grandparents, our great-grandparents, who shuddered as Elul began. Yamim no Rayim, the days of awe, wasn't just a title, it was a reality. Yet today, we have a very hard time with these concepts and these emotions. And if it's harder for us to relate, what about our children who are growing up in a time of tumult, of confusion, of largesse that's unfathomable, yet in a society that lacks so much? How do we prepare our children? How do we coach them? How do we speak to them about Yom Adin, about Rosh Hashanah? Perhaps it's no small coincidence that tonight is the yard site of none other than the Chavetz Chaim, the Chusayagin Aleinu. And I'd like to share a story that recently came to light. The Chavetz Chaim used to go around Europe, Poland, Lita, selling the Mishnah Brura. One time while he was in Vilna to sell the Sefer, he was staying in a kosher inn, a hotel, a hotel, and there was a glass door where you could see into the dining room. As he's on his way out to leave, he sees a rough-looking man through this glass door, no yarmulke, and he's taking a big piece of bread, smearing it with butter, putting some sausage or salami on it, and, and gobbling it down. The Chavetz Chaim is about to go into the room, and somebody approached the Chavetz Chaim and said, Rebbe, careful, if you go in there, if you say anything to that man, he will hit you. Dabri Yadua, known fact. You say something to him about what he was doing, about what he's doing, he will smack you. So Chabad Sain says, what's his story? And he was told his name is so-and-so, and he's a Cantonist. For those unfamiliar with the term, the Cantonists were never children taken from their homes at very, very young ages, conscripted for 20 plus years into the Tsar's army. And, 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 and completely indoctrinated and, and, and pushed off of, away from the derech. So Chavetz Chaim did he shmadzich? Did he, did he convert? Did he become a Christian? He said, no, he didn't. But if you go in there and say anything about the sandwich, he's going to give a clap. He's going to hit. Chavetz Chaim says, well, we would say in modern terms, I've got this. And he walks into the room and he approaches the man. He says, tell me. Is it true that your name is so-and-so? Yeah. He says, is it true you were in the Tsar's army? Yeah. Is it true that you never converted? Never. I didn't keep Shabbos. I didn't keep kosher. 
I ate on Yom Kippur, but I never converted, I would die a yid. This is says to him, if you converted, it would have been easier for you in the army. He says, of course, he says, I suffered terribly because I held on to my Yiddishkeit. If so, said the Chavetz Chaim, I want to shake your hand. He says, when you go, when you go Lamala, can you please put in a good word for me? So the man realized the Chavetz Chaim is being serious. He drops the tray sandwich, shakes the Chavetz Chaim's hand, he speaks with him at length, and at some point during the conversation, he picks up a napkin and he puts it on his head, a yarmulke. From this conversation, the man changed his life. He eventually made his way to the United States. He got married at age 62, and he had one son. The son went on to learn in the very young Tel Yeshiva in Cleveland at the time, and he related this story to Chaim Gutnik, who's a Rosh Yeshiva in Morristown, New Jersey now, while they were learning the Chavrusa together. The empathy, the sensitivity of the Chavetz Chaim is mind-boggling. How did he know what to say? And as parents, we also feel stuck all the time when we see our children doing something. Do we push? Do we let go? Do we give musr? Do we encourage? What do we say? When to say it? How to say it? It's dizzying as a parent. And that's why we're here tonight. Rav Lepiansky, as many of you know, is not just the Rosh Hashiva, steeped in the Torah of the Mir, Rav Nachman Britzavitz, Rav Chaim Shrolevitz, Rav Bainish Shvinkel Zecharim Labracha, and so many more. The Rav is an incisive thinker, a mechanech, whose shiurim and his columns force us to take a second look at how we think about the world around us and our Yiddish kind. Now that I've introduced the Rav to the audience, I think it's important to introduce the audience to the Rav. Among the Rav Shiurim, I was listening to an interview, and we also spoke about it a few moments ago, about the Rav's early years on the Lower East Side as a Talmud in, in RJJ, surrounded by Jews from all walks of life. Schools such as that are fewer and further in between now, but Kasky Torah Academy is proudly that school. We have parents from all walks of life who join together in one singular goal, to raise mention, to raise B'nai Torah, to raise B'nos Torah in that essential Aguda Achas. It's a cover to have the Rav share his Torah with us. I, um, I just heard the surah about the, the Levaya I actually knew Rav Dov Brisman's Hanavracha from the Mir. Um, I remember when he came. I came a year before him, and uh, by Brisman came afterwards. He was there for probably two years. I, I don't remember exactly, but I still remember him as extraordinary masmid sitting upstairs in the Assistashim, which was empty in those days, learning away till late at night. He had his own storm and things that he did. And uh, it's an eerie coincidence that you know, sitting, I'm literally sitting here and heard that it was Leviathan tonight. He's a different uh, I, I didn't know him much in the later years, but from the mayor, he was a tremendous shock and tremendous masmid. And he um, was always sitting and learning, and a lot of, lot of broader star and a lot of things he was learning. So, so I guess the, the topic we wanted to speak about was. It's speaking about young around our children. Now, obviously, it's very, very age-sensitive. So, um, it's, it, we're talking about uh, kindergarten through eighth grade. It's very, very different. But I think a lot more important is if we have a picture of it, 
then we're able to bring it out to our kids based on their age. And I think there is there are some central points or a central point about Rosh Hashanah especially, which is missing, and that's why we have a hard time tapping into a message. Rosh Hashanah, as Anton mentioned, um, was always presented as a fearful day, fish trembling in the waters, and there was slichas, and everybody being scared, and mentioning all sorts of catastrophes. In Europe, I think that went that, that that was a way to, to give it over. People dealt with harsh life. Life was harsh, expectations were rough, and it was a type of thing that, on the one hand, was real. It, catastrophes, unfortunately, were around the corner always. And secondly, children were mature very early and hardened by life. And by telling you about how terrible the Yom Adin is, it, it, it made an impression and it, it created a mood that was destructive. I highly doubt that today we can uh, emulate it. First of all, Baruch Hashem, it's relative tranquility compared to what my father grew up in Europe and I know what they went through. Baruch Hashem, it's, it, we, we don't have these so many scary things. Um, I, I remember it was almost laughable. Someone told me at a seminary in Israel, and when the COVID epidemic hit, and the girls had to go home early. One girl said, "This is nothing. This ever happened before. It's supposed to be Mashiach's times. Like, yeah, that their the flights are are bunched up. They're flying. This this is a catastrophe that has yet from Shachim Beis has yet to happen. Baruch Hashem, we live in a world like that, but it definitely doesn't allow for that type of." And it's very difficult to present a um, to present a picture to children of you know rough things and harsh things. Family services might take the kids away. It's not you know it's not we don't that's not the way we deal today. It's not a real world that we can talk to our kids about. We can talk about dipping apples in honey and having a sweet year and a good year. It's nice, sweet. We can talk about making some positive resolutions. But I think that there's something uh, uh, fundamental of Rosh Hashanah that we're missing ourselves. It's not delineated enough. And I think if we would be able to focus on it, we'd have a real message to our children. I want to start with a famous Mishnah. It says, and being that I'm not familiar with the audience, I will uh, explain to the best of my ability if I'm swallowing words in Yiddish or Hebrew or whatever, please feel free to um, comment. And if I'm over explaining and insulting people's intelligence, please feel free to comment. I, I, I just uh, hard for me to gauge. So there are four times a year when there's a judgment. The Pesach Alatvur, Pesach. Uh, you were judged on the on, on grain, which is the basic staple. At Seres and Shavuos are Paris and these are seasons that are basically the times of the year when they become ripe. Um, the, uh, later on, it says Sukkis is rain, which after Israel winters is the water season. That's fine. Rosh Hashanah it says Kolboy Olam over Lefanik Neimara. Every everyone in the world files past Hakadosh Baruch Hu like B'nai Baruch. 
The name Maron is, the Gemara translates it as possibly soldiers, possibly sheep passing through a passageway, and so on. So there's a marked difference in the description of Rosh Hashanah versus the other Rosh Hashanah. The, um, the, the uh, Pesach, it says very clearly, we're judged on Tavuah, it says we're judged on fruit, and Rosh Hashanah doesn't say we're judged for life, it doesn't say we're judged for anything. It says, over the front of the bar. All, every, every member of the world files by a Kaddish Baruch one by one. So what does that mean? It, it's so jarring the way it stands out. What does it mean? The, so, so I want to talk a little bit about the concept of din and judgment. It says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Breshis Kim created the world and the name of Hashem that's used is Elohim, which means Midas Hadin. Midas Hadin translates as judgment, harshness, harsh judgment, strict judgment. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to create the world within, and that's why Elohim is used exclusively in the Pasha Precious. And one of our students was in, in college, and the professor said the differences in the, in the in, you know, that the scholars have discovered the different names of God. Take a look. She said, Elohim is used exclusively here, and Hashem Elohim is used there. And he said, you know, somebody asked that question a long time ago, and it can't be. And he showed the Rashi, she couldn't read the Rashi, but he showed the Rashi and the, and the thing. So Rashi says, goes to the Medrash, Kadosh Baruch Hu wanted to create the world, he wanted to create the world with Midas Hadin. He saw that the world would not survive. He associated to, with it Midas Harachim. Meaning, Midas Hadin is really what Akarish probably wanted to, and he um, and he added Midas Harachim. He didn't replace it. The way we would understand this type of Chazal, Hashem didn't think and then retract. Hashem doesn't make mistakes. What it means is. If I were to translate it in modern terms, Tchila Olamachshavto means, in principle, this is appropriate. Because of pragmatic reasons, because of practical reasons, we needed to do it this way. It's like an engineer would say, this building can stand on three columns, but you never know, um, you know, what might happen to one of them. So we'll add a fourth column. So we have principle, and we have practice. In principle, the world stands on this That's really what the creation is. Akarish Baruch Hu said, for reasons of practicality, meaning so that people have a chance, 
we associate another Mida with it, and that's Midas Arachnid. But the design of the world is Midas Hakin, and we associate with that Midas Arachnid so that people don't fall by the wayside. That's what it means. Which to us seems um, almost the opposite of what we normally expect. We talk about Hashem being benevolent, all benevolent, goodness, and He wanted us to be good and have good and, and, and so on and so forth. You can explain a little bit din is needed always, like, you know, like, like, like children sometimes need to be a little bit stern, a little bit tough, but you generally want to be extremely good in giving and nice, and occasionally you associate something with it, a little bit of a punishment, sort of to keep things in line. But Chazal is the opposite. They're telling us that the world was meant to be Midas Haddin, and we associate Rachman with it because it's necessary. People would not survive. That's almost the polar opposite of what we've been given to understand, of how we understand it. So let's talk about this, and because Rosh Hashanah is the day when the man was created. Rosh Hashanah, these are the days now that the world was created, Rafael, the world was created. So getting a handle on this and understanding it is really important. Whenever I keep somebody, and I support somebody through my benevolence, and kindness, totally, then in a certain sense, that person does not exist. That person is simply an extension of me. Because the day I close the shut the faucet, person stops. So a relationship of pure giving is a relationship that really does not allow the other person to survive. There's even halacha, fasting halacha, that a, a, a child who is already grown up but is dependent on the father for support and has a halachic status of a cotton, of a minor, for certain, for certain business transactions. Being self-sufficient means you exist. Depending on someone means that your existence is simply an extension of the other person. A child is called, in commission in different places, taf, which is close to the Aramaic word tafel, which means a, um, an appendage to, uh, a sort of an attachment. Because at the end of the day, the child is not self-sufficient. He is um, attached to a parent. He lives and survives because of a parent. So we look at him as being sort of a, an extension of a parent. The halacha is as far as stucca goes, the Rambam says that um, the, the biggest stucca is to make sure the other person has a job so that the other person is self-sufficient. Because as long as I'm giving to the person, besides all the unpleasantness of you know, the relationship, but in a certain sense, I, I've given him food, I've given him drink, but I haven't given him 
is self. So the person is not really, um, he, he doesn't have his own existence. When I allow for a person to, to provide for himself, then I've given that person existence. And that's why, that's the highest form of stuff. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a world, he wanted the world to exist. The greatest gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the world is existence. And if the existence is only purely the benevolence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, without some sense of self-sufficiency of having earned then the world does not exist it's it's a very it's, it's a mirage it's simply an extension it's true that even no matter what we're created by Kesh we exist by his will in in the absolute terms it's the same but there's a bubble and in this bubble there is the possibility of existence and that is called din. When I give you a thousand dollars because of benevolence, that's not your money. If you painted the house and I give you a thousand dollars, that's your money, not my money. If I keep it, I'm stealing it. If I promise a gift and I don't deliver it, then it's not nice. If if the person painted the house and I don't pay him, then then I'm stealing. It's his money. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a world that exists within, meaning it has the ability to earn its own way. And that is the greatest gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to us. Just like in Stucker, if, if somebody gives somebody else a job and the person becomes self-sufficient, he earns his money because he does whatever, whatever the job requires, that I've given him the gift of self. When HaKadosh Baruch who created the world with Midas Adin, he gave the world the gift of self and existence. HaKadosh Baruch who realized that strict Midas Adin would create a theoretical world of existence, but in fact the world would not exist because nobody can live with one mistake and it's over. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Meshatev Midasarachim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu added it as an auxiliary, as, 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 a, as an important side uh, net, like a safety net. But existence is Midasarachim. So the first thing is the understanding what the world is, what HaKadosh Baruch created. The world is essentially Midasarachim. And Midas Hadin is the extraordinary gift of being able to feel, to somehow claim your existence as your own. That's the foundation. And that's why, it's, if people always say that the reason why Rosh Hashanah is Yom Hadin is because it's what we were created. But if you think about it, it's the last day of the year. So when, when, when we start a year, 
the last day, the time when you, when when the um, the books are closed is December thirty first. January first starts the year, so it's not on January first that you that it's it's you finish at the end of the thirty first. Rosh Hashanah it says Aravishu was created, and it says every step of the way the Chazal lists every arrow what happened, and it says he was Nidon Bobayom. He was a judge on that day. So normally the reason is because he ate rates Adas. But it's a day of judgment because a human being is the person who lives by deserving it. Being judged means I'm judicial. And my position in the world is somebody who should and can stand on, on their own feet. Chazal described this type of um, this type of uh, existence. I, I'd like to point out two places where you have an allusion to it. Chazal speak about what happens when Adamish was created. What happened every hour of that day? Now, obviously, we're talking about fundamental points of his existence. It's, it's not a, a diary of what he ate breakfast, what he ate lunch, what he ate supper. It's every aspect of what exactly was other. So it's, it says, first he gathered the earth, he, he made it into a golem, he um, made the, the, the limbs, Revius, Nizrika by Neshama, the fourth hour, the Neshama was put in him, Hamishis The fifth hour, he stood on his feet. It doesn't say he took a stretch. It doesn't say anything. He stood on his feet. The, the significance, I mean, the other things are the neshama. Shishis Karashemis. The sixth, the sixth hour, he called, he gave the names to each animal, which the Pusik points out as being uh, an indication of the ultimate intelligence of man. Standing, standing on your feet is not just physically getting up after a nap. It means once Adam had an neshama, he needed, he was able to stand on his own feet. That's a description of sound self-sufficient. We, 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 the Chazal dashed just like the colloquial English. It says um, that, that it's. It says about Parnassus. It says that it's it's making Adam al Ragnov. It it puts a person on his feet. When we talk about somebody who's had financial distress and now his situation is alleviated, we say he finally was able to stand on his own feet. We use that term, and it means exactly the same. So standing on your own feet, Adamishnathik meant. He was given the ability to become his own person through Midas Adin. That was expected to be his own person, and he could and he could be his own person. The um, standing on your own feet and walking is the ultimate test of that. I want to um, use a halacha to to point this out. Um, it's a halacha in a very different area, but Torah is one. There's a halacha that a trefer, an animal that's a trefer means 
the animal has suffered some physical wound that basically makes it unable to exist for any significant amount of time, usually a year. So when we call, we call trade anything that's not kosher, technically, um, uh, you know, non-kosher animals are called beimetmeya, kosher animal, um, an animal that hasn't been shechted properly is called nevela, an animal that has been, that is, you know, that's of the type that's kosher, and has um, been shechted properly, but it doesn't have physically the ability to survive, the lungs are not good and so on, that's called a trafer. One of the trafers is if an animal fell down from a place that's a bit high, there's, a, there's an exact amount, we're scared that the animal has been smashed and you have to inspect the animal first and see if it is okay. So the halacha is the mahalachim we paskin, holcha ain't If the animal starts walking around, then um, you don't have to check it. Walking is a sign of being alive. The, um, the, there are some people that are machmer, especially like a Paris, when you have a lot of boxes banged and so on and so forth, before they bring it to the shokhet, for those people in Exostral who do it that way, they would walk the chicken a few feet just to make sure that it hasn't been banged up or whatever. It's a big, a chumra, hider, whatever you want to call it, but that's what it is. It's based on this halakha. Walking means that you are independent totally. One more interesting um, source. It says, Ms. Um, Harriet, there's a Pasik that there was the Kongodal, Yeshua was standing, and and Akashbaru told him, I will give you mehalchim bin I will allow you to walk between these malachim who are standing still. And it's a cryptic pasik, dealing with malachim and so on. But one of the interpretations of it is that, and it's a, it's a common interpretation, a malach is called an omid. An angel is a great, extraordinary um, being, holier than us, in certain senses, in certain senses, more capable than us. The one thing that they don't have is the ability to do anything on their own. And therefore, they are totally extensions of HaKadosh Baruch It means they're full of Kedusha, full of Tara, but we are greater because we have the gift of being self-sufficient. And that's why it's called, that we're called Mahalchim. We can walk, we're, we're self-sufficient. An angel is someone that stands. He is what he is. He's not going anywhere. He cannot move anywhere, so to speak. We're talking about in, in, in his Ruchnius or so. So let's go back to our mission. There are four times when the world is judged. So the normal judgment that we talk about is has to do with crops, has to do with, 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 with rain and so on. Judgment. How is man judged? Why is man judged? He passes by, we file by, so to speak, HaKadosh Baruch. In other words, 
are we living or are we floating? The, 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 when you have a great mass and, and, and they have a crowd that pushes, everyone gets pushed. But is the person walking on his own or not? And that's the great Yom Hadin of Rosh Hashanah, when people are tested to see if they are internally viable. Are they people who have and so on? That's an idea about what Rosh Hashanah is, what people are, and so on. I want to talk a little bit about it, I guess, in, in, in somewhat of a practical way. The, um, it used to be at a time when I remember when we were a bit less affluent and people had to earn um, whatever, if, if you wanted a bike, you found a way to make more money and earn it. If you wanted anything, people would earn, would earn it. They would go work, they, you know, they, would, want to, they would do something, and that's how they, they would earn it. Baruch Hashem, we are affluent, and, and you know, a lot more than was, and we usually get it. But, we, but the thing that has been lost is getting it is not what makes a person satisfied or happy. It's earning it. When you earn something, that's when you realize yourself. And it's a world of difference between having and earning. I want to, let's talk a little bit, let's talk a moment about Chinuch. Uh, Things have changed, many ways for the better. When I was growing up in school, and if anyone's my age, I know it's a bit slowly my age, um, so basically school classroom was divided between the five good kids and the 25 bums. That was sort of the, and if somebody, they didn't have any fancy names. You know, there were no terms to describe any disabilities. He was good for nothing. You know, I can't say that that was a very, a very good approach. Um, and a lot of people suffered. And, and Baruch Hashem, um, we, we become a lot more stupid. We understand, and, 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 and so on. We understand limitations, we understand differences, we understand different approaches. But we become very shy and to talk about earning. So going from one extreme, where it was just based on marks, and if one kid was extremely bright and could, could, could you know, do, with very little effort, get a 95 on the test, so he was always the hero. And another poor boy who sweated hard and could pull maybe an 80 was considered to be second or third rate. That, uh, that obviously was, was terrible. But the flip side is, where we, we've, we've become totally shy in, in, in grading or evaluating. So if everything is good, then nothing is worth anything. I, I, I remember vividly one of my children, I must have been about 10 years old or so, he, he had just come to the States, we moved from Israel, and there was a very, very nice person living in two or three um, 
with the uh, floors above us. And he asked her some question or something. He had, I don't know, he had some conversation with her, and she said that it's a very, very nice point, and so on. So he came and told me, my son came and told me, he said, Mr. So-and-so said that this was a very nice point. Then he paused a minute and he said, but I think she tells it to everybody. <laughs> and he was right, it, it, it was a nice point, but she was, she was a wonderful person. And, and uh, it is, so yes, my son, he did come. But that means that, that, that we never are able to taste earning. We, we, if we don't ever taste failure, then, then there's no success either. Now, so we've gone from one extreme to another extreme. What should be ideal, and, and as always, you know, to, to, it's, it's, it's much easier for a parent than for a school. I'm speaking as a school person. Not as a parent, my kids are actually married, their children, so I can, I can put the luxury speaking, putting on parents. But the point is, a child needs goals that are achievable. He needs goals that he achieved, and occasional failures. And there have to be things, the, 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 the right balance of it, that you need X amount of work to earn a certain amount of whatever it is, grade, mark, trip, item, is ideal. A, a, a person, every human being thrives when he is, um, when, when, when they have things they're working for and are able to realize a great amount of it. If it's easy come, it's easy go. And if the goals are really far and difficult to reach, then yayish. Those two extremes are not good. They don't give, they don't give up earning. I ask sometimes, we have a vada page of the high school boys, and we talk about why it is that chazal, why it is how they crafted certain brachas. And I ask them, if you were writing a bracha, a bakasha for Parnassa, how would you word it? And the answer would be, probably, Hashem, maybe win the lottery. Uh, cash option, please. <laughs> and that's basically how we would how we would phrase it. Take a look at the bracha. It doesn't say about riches, wealth. It says baruch same bracha, bevarich hashanim. And I tell them to do a little bit of, of mental exercise. Imagine you can choose from two paths in life. One path is, it's you win the jackpot the day you get married, and set for life. You can live off the interest and then some. One option. Option two, you open up a business or, or, you, or whatever it is that you do, you, 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 you begin to work at some career, and the first year you make X, and the second year you make more, and you successfully make so more, and every year you're more successful and make more. But it never adds up to jackpot. <laughs> Which do you think will make you happier? I said, be honest with yourself. And, and you know, after, after a few minutes of thought, everyone comes to the same conclusion. So really understanding ourselves as being people that the key to becoming ourselves, to becoming a person, to becoming a viable person, 
is earning. And din is that. So teaching a child Rosh Hashanah is Yom Hadin. These are the days of Yimei Hadin. Yimei Hadin means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us opportunity to earn our way. And it means that we can do things and become something. It means also that we fail occasionally. It's very interesting that the word vidui um, is used in last week's parasha in a very strange way. Normally vidui is confession and we automatically associate it with you know, terrible, bad, and so on and so forth, all the sins we've done. In Vidu Maestris, it's, 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 it's the following obligation. Every three years, we, we finish uh, a cycle of, um, of all the different gifts we have to give to Kohanim, to Leviim, and to poor people. Three years is, is a complete cycle of that. We have to gather any of the stuff that's left by us in the storehouse that we haven't given out. We have to give it to a, to a Kohen and to a and to a poor person, each item as it may be appropriate. And we have a formula we recite afterwards. It's called the Vidui Confession of Maestras. But the Vidui reads very strange. The Vidui reads, I did exactly as you told me. I gave it to the Kohen, to the Levi, to the poor person. I did not eat it when I was defiled. I did not eat it when it was defiled. I did not eat it when I was mourning. I didn't do anything wrong. I did exactly as you told me. And that's called vidu. And it, 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 it's, it's something that it's not so simple to say why it's called vidu. But I think on a practical note, unless we learn to say what we did right, then if you just come up and say, I did, if, if, if we approach our uh, Shalit Kippen, all it is about the terrible things we are, we've done, and so on and so forth, then maybe the first year what we hear about in, in Yeshiva will, we will make a super effort. Second year, third year, 40th year, 50th year, what's the point of it? Vidu it, is an accounting. We owe an accounting, and an accounting is a strain time but it's a time when you can recognize the flaws of the business, and you can also be happy with what you have earned. So the, 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 um, the, the, the presenting to our children the idea that it's the earning. Let's give, it, let's give uh, an example, a practical example. A child who studied hard for a test, and their abilities are limited, and they got an 80 should be praised as much as someone who's very bright and didn't put in that effort, you got a 96. I, I, the, the praise, if, if the focal point is not the knowledge you have, but the knowledge you, you acquired, the knowledge you sweated and got, then it's very different. We first have to realign the picture. What is good? Good is that which we earned not which we have. Some people have an easy time with different things. Some people have an easy time giving it stalker. Some people it's hard for them, not only financially, just, and they, they have to make an effort. Some people have an easy time getting into doubting. Some people don't. Every one of us is different. But the bottom line is, 
It's not about what you assess, it's about what you earn. That's din. Yom din Rosh Hashanah is yantif. And the Chinuch speaks about it, the Chinuch asks, why would such an awesome day be a yantif? The Allah is, we have to treat us yantif. Um, we dress, we eat, we, um, there's a, a big question about crying, yes, no, uh, fasting, yes, no. But, but at the end of the day, it's, it's why, would, why is it yantif? So his point is that we can correct the things we've done wrong. And that's what it's part of. But I would like to suggest part of that picture is it's also the ability to recognize that we have the ability to earn and we have earned. Uh, uh, we need to be positive about the things we did do. We obviously can't be smug because we're far, far from having done what we should have done. But we did do things. And unless we keep, unless we reinforce ourselves that the things that were difficult to do, that took a lot of effort, are the most valuable ones, we don't have Rosh Hashem. I think approaching this concept, the approaching Rosh Hashanah and presenting to our children in, 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 through the perspective of earning, Din is all about, HaKadosh Baruch was judging of means, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the ability to earn our way, to be able in some level to say proudly, I'm a self-made man. It's, it imposes a tremendous onus on a person, but, but it's, it's a gift. And the things that we've done that really took effort are laudable, and we can be proud of them. And the things that we've fallen short, we need to, to move forward and change that. I think that that's something that is, is a general chinuch principle that will make a world of difference for our children in everything. I even feel, and I've heard parents say sometimes, I, there's nothing my child ever wanted that I didn't give them. And I cringe. I mean, I, I don't say anything. <laughs> I, I would like to say, it's, it's a terrible thing. It means that, that he's never learned no. He's never learned to earn. Now, we, we don't, you know, we, we can make use of the chef that probably gave us to focus the thing that, that they don't have to earn Every, every meal that they, that, that they ate. Once upon a time in Europe, eight-year-old, nine-year-old kids went to work because there's no food. Baruch Hashem, we're not there. But there has to be a sense of earning. It's true about mundane things. It certainly is true about ruchnis. And understanding what a child's potential is and what achievable and what is not achievable. To expect something from a child that's really not capable of doing is an avlet, states to and wrong, and allowing a child to smear something that he can get away with without, without him realizing I didn't earn it, that is also a lacking. Bez Hashem, we should present the, the Rosh Hashanah to our children, it should be, as the most, it's the day that we became people. We become people when we have, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the greatest gift of Making ourselves the Moshe Chazal's as malani halechem kilo asisen asatzmechem. If you do what's right, I consider it as if you made yourself. It's a lashon of of, of a medrash rabbi, and we 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 train our children like that. It's our attitude. We give it over to our children that the life you have is the life you made, and what came to you gratim, what came to you 
unearned, is not really yours in, in, in the full sense of the word. Rosh Hashanah is a day to recognize that. It's a day to be proud of the things that we did do. And just like you make a list of things in Rome, it, it, it's helpful to Chavez says, things that I had to really work hard and achieve. And what did I not work hard enough? What, I mean, what did I achieve? And what best Hashem do I hope to earn in the yet to come session? We should all be zeichet to, to, to the gift of life, which is being able to walk on our own feet and, 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 and somehow realizing the gift Hashem gave us that we create ourselves, so to speak, by, by maximizing our earning power position. Good year, Thank you, Rashiva. Um, I think we'll have the